Good morning. It's good to see you all. Hey, we're going to jump right into our, our text this morning. So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 all the way through 18. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own one, just keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow and understand the knowledge of Jesus. Um, I'm not going to waste any time this morning talking about the wind from ASU last night because we don't have time. I'm not going to talk about I'm not going to talk about it. It doesn't matter that we're 4-0, right? What matters is that we get opportunity to look at God's word this morning after a win last night. So, so, there's, there's a, so we, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount so far, what we've seen is Jesus has this beautiful picture in, the, in Matthew's gospel where he's born into the world. He's 30 years. He's silent. He comes onto the scene. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and then he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan. And then he starts his ministry. And he starts his ministry by proclaiming and ultimately uh, showing the deeds of God's kingdom. He's healing people, he's blessing people, and he's calling people to turn from their ways to follow him within human history. And he says, the kingdom of God has come. It's at hand, or the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is the presence and reign of God has broken into human history. It's not yet fully here because he will come again and establish his reign here on this, in this earth and on this, in this world, but it's here partially. And so we live in the tension. And from there, Jesus begins to teach on this mountain, which is titled Summer of the Mount. And he begins to talk about the happy life or the blessed life. And he says that life are people who are poor in spirit. Men and women who acknowledge that they're spiritually bankrupt and there's nothing they can do to earn the favor of the Lord, but they receive it by God's grace and they live into it. These people beginning to reflect what God has given them in God's character, that they hunger and they thirst after righteousness. And the week after that, we talked about what it looks like for us to be salt and light, that ultimately people would see our good works and they would bring glory to the Father, and then Jesus stretches into the law and saying, now as a follower of Christ, we don't get rid of the law, but we live it more deeply from the heart, that which the Spirit has written in our hearts, that the law of God, that we begin to live from that and live fully from that. And then last week, if you were here, we were talking about the heart of the law. So it's not just do not commit adultery, but it's ultimately don't even lust and love somebody as opposed to take something from somebody. And what love looks like is actually not just not murdering people, but it's loving people as opposed to hating people and loving your neighbor and so forth. In the last sentence, um, last verse of last week, Jesus says, I want you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What we talked about there is that perfection that Jesus is talking about is not moral perfection. But that word there for your perfect father is that that's the goal, that our aim is to be like and live in the presence and love of our father who is perfect. And how we get there is not by moral achievement or just trying harder, but trusting in the work of the father, the work of the son, and the work of the spirit to get us there. So far, this is the first time we hear about the father in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus' primary audience here are Jewish people who did not relate to God as father. They had other names in which they would talk to him. He was definitely almighty. He was definitely all-powerful. He was definitely all-sovereign. But they didn't relate to him as father. And there's this invitation into the kingdom here. What Jesus is saying is that when we get Christ, we also get his father to begin to reflect his glory as well. And so we'll look at that today and what that looks like, primarily when it comes to giving to the poor, when it comes to praying, and when it comes to fasting. And next week we'll come back and we'll look at the Lord's Prayer. So if you look at just a quick glance in your text here, we're looking at verses 1 through 18, smack in the middle is the Lord's Prayer. We're actually not going to teach the Lord's Prayer today. I know you're going like, why not? Why don't we do that? Listen, we're going to get to it next week. 
Uh, most of us have probably heard the Lord's Prayer at some point. Um, I had to learn it in college. We would pray it after every game. I never knew what it was. And I would just, our Father, who are in heaven. And I didn't know the words. It was like, to the cleaning of the power and the glory forever and ever. Let's go play, right? So we're actually going to come back next week and talk about what that means um, as opposed to just a prayer before you go play a football game. So um, primarily looking at verses 1 through 8 and then looking at the latter part and fasting. So before we jump into God's text, would you guys bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we pray for your spirit, for your anointing on your word. God, I pray that we would see more than anything that we have a father who loves us deeply. That what Jesus is trying to get us at, Lord, is not just our actions, but the motivation of our actions that flow from acceptance and approval, not of this world, but ultimately the reward of having it from you. God, help us to understand what a true reward it is, Lord, in our lives to be loved by you, to be known by you, to be seen by you, to have an affections of a father who never gives up on us, Lord, but constantly walks with us. God, I pray that you would take all our thoughts, our hurt, our emotion, our pain, our highs, our lows, everybody that's in this room, God, and that you would remove me and you would speak, Lord, in a way that is only promising of your spirit. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things we, we say a lot around here is that more things are caught than taught. And what that means is, like when it comes to kids, that kids catch more things than you actually teach them. If you watch little kids, they just mimic the people around them. They mimic their parents and so forth. In fact, they usually catch the things you don't want to teach them. Right? It's always those things that they're, they're doing, right? So um, I, we got an opportunity. Um, well, first, there's just that experience you have when you have young kids, like babies, you can still have regular conversations with them in the car. You can talk, talk trash about all your friends and all. No, no. <laughs> right? And they don't know anything. And then they get a little bit older, you have to just spell the words out. You start spelling the words out, right? And then you want them to learn how to read, but the worst part is when they learn how to read and learn how to spell, because it's like you can't do anything now, right? Like they just, they just say everything. Because they mimic you. They catch these things around you. They, they begin to act like you and so forth. So we had an opportunity. Um, I had an opportunity to meet some of my friends' kids, or my friends' kids, my uh, my son's friends, his friends don't have kids yet, he's seven, but <laughs> my oldest son's friends, and one of the particular kids in his class is the nicest little boy ever, right? And I love my son, but my son's not as nice as his kid, right? Seriously, like he, this kid shakes your hand, he squeezes, how you doing, nice to meet you. He, he asked me if I was a Christian, I said yes. He asked me, guys, this is no joke, what did I read in my quiet time that day? <laughs> in a, and I'm like, you got me. I'm behind in the squid, man. It's not working, man. It's right. I got to figure it out. He doesn't even go to this church, right? And so he probably preaches at another church somewhere, right? So, and then I meet his little sister. We're at this event, and I meet his little sister, and she reaches out her hand, introduces herself to me. She's five. Shakes my hand, looks me in the eye. You didn't read your quiet time, did you? No, she didn't say that, right? So, so then I meet his parents. It's the same thing. And I'm like, what? You guys are like just amazing people, right? And so that's their side of it. We're in the same little room, this classroom. They're doing their, their like, this is what a day looks like for them. And the first thing the teacher says is we start with Pledge of Allegiance. So they've already reflected their parents' parenting. And then my son, my youngest son goes, Pledge of Allegiance. He goes, I'm not standing up. I'm going to be like Colin Kaepernick. And I, uh, listen, listen, someone wanted to talk to me about that afterwards. Listen, I'm not going to tell you where I stand or don't stand on that situation, all right? All I know is my kid, I was like, get up, man. Like, stop clowning, right? Dang it. Dang it, right? More things are caught and taught. So what we have in this, in this, in this picture here. You guys done? 
What we have in this picture that Jesus is painting right here as he's teaching us is not so much that you give. It's not so much that you pray. And it's not even so much that you fast. It's ultimately, do you do it, one, for the approval and mimicking the world in which you've caught? Or do you do it outer or from the approval and the mimicking of the love of the Father in which you've caught? So there's, there's this picture. Now, he's going to talk about giving. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. But we're going to miss it if we don't see what he's trying to get is, do you understand the Father's love? And does it shape you? Do you reflect it? Do you imitate it? Is it something that you experience in your life, in the life of others? Well, let's look at that. Chapter 6, verse 1. First thing Jesus says here is, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. First thing you've got to see is Jesus assumes that you're going to practice righteousness. He had just been teaching about righteousness. He goes, you got to go further than the scribes, and you got to go further than the Pharisees. And we said further is not more work, but it's deeper into the heart that you understand the grace and love that you receive from the Lord, and that's the motivation. He says, beware of practicing. And I love he puts that. you got to practice righteousness. I mean, Jesus is assuming that we're going to practice righteousness. There's going to be a, 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 um, an expression of morality. There's going to be an expression of justice, of us pouring ourselves out for people. Now, you think about that. My, my friend says it this way. He says, if you hear somebody, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, this guy that's coming in, he's been playing the trumpet for like 13 years. Like, you're excited because you know you're going to hear something good. Like 13 years, man, something good is coming. He goes, why isn't it that the same way if someone says, hey, these people, they've been practicing Christianity for 10 years. Like the world around us, the community around us just say, you know what, this is about to be good. People are about to be fed. There's about to be justice. This is, this is about to be great. Unless we're not practicing it, right? So he says, there's an assumption, you're going to practice it. The warning he gives, it says, just don't do it for the approval of people. Like, like, don't do it so that everybody sees you. Now, let me pause there for a second, because if you've been with us here, you've got to go, okay, Jesus is saying, don't do it so that people would see you. Last chapter, he says, do good works so that people may see it and glorify your Father. What's going on, right? All right, what is Jesus talking about here? There's two different motivations which Jesus is getting at. The first one deals with the fact that we don't naturally live out our faith publicly. That means taking a belief and a relationship with Christ in such a way that it comes to bear on politics and art and literature and sports and vocation, etc. That you live out your faith in such a way that the community around us sees it and says, what is that? And ultimately, we can point to the glory of our Father. The end goal is that we do these things in public, not just we come together on a Sunday, we read and we pray and we take some communion and so forth, we leave, but it, it, it informs and it shapes our faith in which we live unto life. And it brings glory to the Father. Here is dealing with vanity. Because you understand, Jesus' context of what he's talking to, he's around a bunch of people who are churchy people, if I can use that phrase. Like they're just churchy people, like they're churched out. They, they've been in church their entire life. Not really church, but synagogue, right? They're synagogue right? And so that's, these people know religious things, and he knows there's a lot of people who are just going through the motions, and they know when to stand up and when to sit down and when to say amen and so forth. Like, they got that stuff dialed in. He goes, I want to actually get to the heart of it, because some of you are doing that so that you can be seen as a good Christian, or you can be seen as a good Jewish person. He goes, I want, I want you to understand that you do it because you know and love and follow a good God. Two different, radically different motivations. 
And so this part, he's saying, you, you're not living for the praise of other people, but ultimately from the approval in which you have from your heavenly Father. So he says, be careful, or you're going to get your reward. You're going to get it, but you're not going to get the reward of the Father. And then he begins to unpack this. The first section here is talking about almsgiving, or serving and giving in such a way that it blesses the marginalized in your community. Verse 2, he says thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Here's just saying, don't, don't do it like the hypocrites. Now, here's the thing about that word hypocrite. I think it's so watered down in our culture because we don't really know what a hypocrite is. Oftentimes, many of us are called hypocrites. If you're a follower of Jesus, like someone's, you're a hypocrite. Why? Because you said one thing, you did another thing. It's actually deeper than that. In fact, not only will you be called a hypocrite, according to that definition, but there's not a Christian in this room who doesn't feel like a hypocrite already. Right? We were, we were meeting at our, our pastor's meeting, and we are just saying, like, the heart, one of the hardest things about being a Christian is, like, living and following Jesus. And one of the hardest things about being a pastor is teaching people this is what God says when you're still working it out in your own life, right? Like, like the best part about being a parent is you're not a kid anymore. So you could just, you could just get all high and mighty. Whatever, I've already done that. You're my kid. <laughs> what? Right, so you could do that. You can't, you can't, you can't do that with the, with the word of God. Like, because we're all broken and we're all flawed. So, so what is he talking about when he says hypocrite? One Take all the religious jargon out of the word hypocrite. It was just a common word. Think about this. Don't do it like the actors. If you just replayed the actors, if you just replaced that word and put actors, what hypocrite was, was a theater phrase that Jesus takes that word and the apostle Paul takes that word and he applies it to something. Because in the theater, you would be an actor and they wouldn't have multiple actors. They would have just one actor or two actors that would play multiple parts. So I would have a, a mask in my face and I'd play one part. And then I would switch um, mask and I would have another part and I'd come back and I'd act out another part. And that was totally appropriate because it was a performance in a theater. Like it's appropriate there. What Jesus is saying is here is when there's hypocrites now is when they're just acting and they're putting on a performance for an applause of people unto life. And he goes, it's wildly inappropriate. Like you should not be acting or performing your relationship and your, uh, with God as a community. It should just be who you are. There shouldn't be this weird identity. And yet, we do that. Many of us, we don't grow up in church. We don't grow up trusting Jesus. We become Christians, and we get a part of some um, parachurch ministry, um, whether it be Young Life or Crew or something, or a church or something, and we learn whatever the cultural rules are in there. We, we just start mimicking the rules. We start mimicking certain sayings. You don't even know why you say half the things you say, right? So how are you doing? I'm blessed, highly favored. I am so good to the Lord. I talk like this to no one else, right? And it's like Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Just, just, just be who you are. There's no need to be a hypocrite. He goes, but these particular people, when it comes to giving to the needy, that they were sounding trumpets. Now, I did a lot of research. I don't know if they literally doing this or if Jesus is making a metaphor. Because can you imagine that? Like, get the bass going. Boom, boom. Hey, y'all, I'm giving. About to give to the poor. I'm here, right? His point, regardless, whether it's literal or not, is going... Don't, you don't have to sound the trumpet. You don't have to tell everybody how good you are at serving the poor. And it usually goes something like this. Listen, it's not about me, but I wrote a fat check. I'm helping out poor people. They would be dead if it wasn't for me. And the best part is, it's not about me, guys. It's, it's not. It's not. It's, 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 it's about me. Right? So there's, there's, 
there's a sense where he's saying, what do you want? Do you want the approval of people? Here's how he says it. Uh, Truly, I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. When it says have received, it means they've been paid in full. Like you've already gotten the goal. The goal for you was the approval of other people. That they looked at you and said, wow, what a good Christian man or good Christian woman. You got it. There it is. But in doing so and worshiping the idol of human approval, which we are all guilty, in worshiping the idol of human approval, we've, we've actually um, rejected the reward of having and loving and living into the love of our Father. <laughs> he goes, don't, don't go that way. He's like, of course, give to the needy. He assumes that we're going to care. He assumes that we're going to care for the poor and the marginal. He assumes that we're going to act out in righteousness. He says, but don't do it that way. Instead, he says, verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Not, he's not saying literally, like, don't, you know, he's not saying literally right hand, left hand. The right hand was known for all the activity of what you would do. And he's trying to make the point of going, just do it from a heart that's good. Like no one needs to see you. And the reason why I say don't take this extreme, too extreme literally, because you will just move into another form of legalism that Jesus is trying to free us from. You go from one that says everybody needs to see you to like no one gets to see you, and you're, you're still struck in some legalism instead of freedom. So, so if it, you know, we usually have a giving after the service. If you like go to give something in the box, don't tell somebody, close your eyes, right? Just, it's from your heart, right? It's from the heart, right? And God is the one who sees the heart. So first he says right here, you have to do it in a way that you know that your father sees you in secret. We're gonna come back to that. So he transitions from giving to the needy or almsgiving to the next one that was the three pillars that Christian people in the faith of Jewish faith would do. That is give alms to the poor, prayer, and fasting. The second one is prayer. Verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So now he's talking about prayer. And prayer is something, as followers of Christ, whenever you even talk about prayer, people feel guilty. You know, you feel guilty when you're going to talk about prayer. And usually it's because people are like, my prayer life is not where I want it to be. You know, I'm not praying enough. Have you ever met somebody who is, Right? Have you ever talked to that person like, hey, is your prayer life good? Yeah, actually. I've actually had to slow down. <laughs> God was like, hey, man, you're keeping me busy. <laughs> prayer, prayer is an invitation to know and be intimate and know who God is. It's not just something that we just heap up petitions, though, that's part of it. It's not something we just confess sin that's part of it, but it's, it's an access to God who's the Lord of our life. That he's the one who freely says, welcome, pray, me, pray to me. I already know what you want. You have not because you ask not. There's these beautiful pictures of prayer with God. And so Jesus is assuming that people are going to give. He's assuming that people are going to pray. He's just saying, but when you pray, don't do it out of a heart of motivation that desires so much the approval of others. Now, some of you are going, I don't know if, like, when it comes to my religious duty that I, I care about the approval of others. Like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a type of person that doesn't like to be at the center of attention. Like, some people say that. Listen, we're all there. Here's, here's how you can tell. When there's a group picture that you're in, who's the first person that you look at in that group picture? Right? 
that person usually looks strangely familiar, right? Like, you naturally, we just naturally go to ourselves, and he goes, and when prayer, it happens. And here is how it happens on a, on a somewhat funny but level um, in prayer. If you're ever praying in a group together, right, how nervous do you get? Part of it is public speaking is a real deal. Like, people, people would rather die than, than public speak. So we got to understand that. So th- those of you who are like community small group leaders, no one talks in your groups like 20 people. It's like, they'd actually rather die. So just, just so you know that, there's studies that show that. Um, and so you can be silent all you want and just make them talk, but you know, just saying. Um, when it comes to prayer and everybody's praying in a group, usually what happens is the leader will say something like, anybody who wants to pray, <laughs> pray. And what happens, one person will pray and no one will say anything. And the next person, the next one will pray. And the next turn, then you start realizing, uh-oh, one, two, I'm, I'm up in three. I'm up in three. And what do you start doing? I got to rehearse my prayer. And you start rehearsing in your head, dear father, no, if I say, no, that dear seems, all right. daddy, no, they're going to think, no. <sighs> oh, gracious God, no, they're going to, and it gets to, your, gets to you. And you start like praying and even probably using words and a vernacular and a tone that you use with nobody else, right? Everyone's got their eyes closed and it's like, Dear God, <laughs> eyes open up. You're like, when did that thing get here, right? <laughs> and, there, and you do it not because you're wondering, what does God think? You're doing it because you're wondering, what do these people think? Do they think I'm a heretic? Do I, now they think you're crazy. <laughs> so so we, do, we do oftentimes, even in our prayer, it's for the approval of other people. And human approval is a beast. It's a beast, Right? None of us are exempt. Some of us wore or didn't wear certain clothes today because of what people would think. Some of us, uh, ultimately, we drive way better in the church parking lot than anywhere else, right? That's why we don't do church stickers. I'm like, no, that's bad witness for us. We ain't putting our church's sticker on the back of some of you guys' cars, right? <laughs> that's the church not to go to. <laughs> that there's, that we, 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 we do so much for the approval of people. And Jesus says, how about you do this when you pray? He doesn't even give you a formula. He just says, go in a room. He's talking individual prayer, not corporate prayer. And he's not against that. We'll talk about that next week. Go to a room. Go somewhere where it's just you before God. And when you're before God, you could just let, let it all go. Lord, I'm, I got doubts about this. I don't believe this. I hear that you're good, but I don't know you're good. I'm having a hard time believing this. My marriage is not at all the way that I portray it to be to everybody else. I feel like a hypocrite, God. Lord, let me thank you for who you are, that just moments of adoration. I've challenged you guys with this before. If you're going to pray for 10 minutes, let seven minutes of it be adoration of just who God is. And by the time you get to your petitions, you're going to realize, maybe the thing is I was going to pray for, I didn't want to pray for anymore. Jesus is getting at two things with this. It's not just giving or praying or fasting. It's are we going to be self-absorbed, because that's what human approval really is. It's not that you care about those people. You care about what those people care about you. And I, I say this from a position of, like, understanding because that's my biggest idol. And so it really is selfish. So are you going to be self-absorbed or are you ultimately going to be God-absorbed? One guy says you can do it and you can receive it. You can receive it. Like you can, you can actually do things in such a way that a particular group of people will approve of you. And he goes, here's your check, but you're forfeiting something that's far greater and that's not fleeting, but it's eternal and lasting and pure and rich and dense because it's the love of the Father. It's something that's always existed. It's something that's always been there. It's something Jesus has always had. And he's here trying to reveal it and invite it to us to live into. 
So he's not even getting to the behavior. He's assuming that you're going to respond in righteousness, but when you practice it in such a way, practice it from a position of understanding it is your father in whom you ultimately want and need, and we didn't have because of sin, and Jesus now is bringing us to him, and for him and his love and his presence to be our motivation. He says, so why don't you go talk to him? He already knows what you want, and he's going to reward you in secret. Like, he's going to see you. That, that, that's, that's the desire of our heart, that ultimately God would see us. Well, he jumps, and we're going to jump because we're going to come back to the Lord's prayer next week. If you go to verse 16 here, he goes from giving um, to prayer to fasting. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, may, their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, for the most part, we understand intuitively and spiritually and biblically about giving to the marginalized and caring for marginalized. Um, maybe even prayer. But when it comes to fasting, that's not a, a practice that evangelicals are really good at. Um, right? You never talk to anybody about their fasting game. Like, how's your fasting game going? It's legit. I'm fasting from it right now, actually. <laughs> and we don't really have a, like, many of us don't have a really good biblical idea of why fasting is. We think it's something in the Old Testament. So let's explain um, a little bit about what fasting is. You see fasting from the very beginning of Scripture to the end and, without church, and throughout church history. So in the Old Testament, you would see fasting a lot of people. And then you would have a commandment. In fact, the one commandment to fast was on a particular day was the Day of Atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur. And on this particular day, they would fast. And when people would fast, oftentimes they'd put ashes on their face to symbolize that there was mourning and so forth. There was a seriousness to it. Um, you see people in the Old Testament fasting for different reasons. You see men and women both fasting. You see the Queen of, you can see Queen Esther fasting before she wins a beauty, uh, beauty pageant. Whoa. Um. <laughs> 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 All right, nine o'clock service is the one that's going online. All right, so, so, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Got to read Esther. <laughs> that's a hood translation right there. She fasted. The point was she fasted. You get in the New Testament, follow with me, guys. In the New Testament, you see Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You see the Apostle Paul, and you see other church leaders fasting that you fast. Okay, well, why, why fast? Um, does fasting make God love us more? Absolutely not. Um, fasting was something that men and women have done throughout scriptures and church history for a few reasons. One, for repentance. There was a sense that there would be a particular sin in your life that you were remorseful over and that there would be a sign of fasting that you would abstain from food or something else that's distracting. You would fast from that um, and not to just show God how, how bad you felt, but ultimately to acknowledge your need of his presence. Because the reason why we sin in the first place is we don't trust God. Any given reason is we don't trust God to be faithful and true and good and beautiful in that situation. Another reason why people will fast is, is just to reorient themselves around the Lord. Right? There's, a, there's moments we do this with diets where every once in a while we need to do some sort of cleanse to just kind of get our eating the right way. Spiritually, there's moments where you know that we can get off of true north and that we find ourselves drifting. And oftentimes what a fast will do is remind us how God meets our needs, how God provides, because there's something about hunger that lets you know, man, I, especially for many of us, I have the opportunity to get food at any moment. God has so blessed me and provided for me so we can reorient ourselves around the things that matter the most ultimately in God himself. 
Fasting is something that you fast, and you see in Scripture, you, you fast for uh, a breakthrough, for God's renewal and covenant uh, healing and, and care for his people, for the community, for a nation, and so forth, that you see that there's fasting and prayer. Churches will fast for, um, uh, for God to move in their city, for God to move in their community, and so forth. So fasting is a very, very, very good thing. And Jesus, by the way, some people will say, well, Jesus never commanded us to fast. And you're right. Jesus never commanded us to fast. But when he writes here, he assumes that you're going to fast. He doesn't just say, um, don't ever fast. He goes, when you do it, meaning when you do it, just don't do it like the hypocrites. Like the hypocrites would put the ashes on their face like they did in the Old Testament, but they would leave it on there. Just, it'd be like if, if, a, if a woman had mascara, mascara on, and, and how do you pronounce it? Um, and she was crying like four days ago, but she really wanted people to know. And she showed up four days later like, oh, are you crying? Yeah, I was. You want to ask me about it, right? Like, it's like going, are you fasting? Yeah, but don't tell anybody. I was just being holy on the way over here. I fed some homeless people and prayed a few times, but don't, just don't tell anybody, right? He's just saying, don't, don't, don't be so obvious about it. But he says this, when you do, anoint your face and wash your face. Now, before you go literal on there, the reason why they said anoint your face and wash, this was something that was common. What he's saying is, do what you normally do. For us, that would be get up, take a shower, brush your teeth, right? And, and just go about your day. Just go about your day. You don't have to sound the trumpets. You don't have to let everybody know that you're fasting. And he, and he says this, you will get your reward again. Verse 18, and your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. Well, Jesus keeps saying this over and over again. He says, when you give, don't sound the trumpet, your father in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. When you pray, don't just heap up phrases. Don't stand up in the synagogues and let everybody know, hey, everybody, I'm praying right now. By the way, side note, when you're in public and you pray, um, you don't have to pray loud enough so that every other table next to you can hear your prayers. Literally, I think, I think for people who are not Christian, I think that is somewhat offensive to them because it seems like you're trying to like accidentally evangelize to them. Lord, let's pray for this meal. And anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, if they don't know that you were so good that you gave your only son, if they had a red shirt on today, right? Like, it's just, it's just like your heart, God, right? So Jesus is saying, your father who's in secret. And oftentimes what's taught in this section is a section on prayer, a section on giving, and a section on fasting. When Jesus is actually not explicitly teaching about at least fasting or giving, he will talk about prayer because he shows us, and we'll do that next week. He's actually talking about taking your audience from one to the other. Because super holy people sometimes would say, it doesn't matter about approval. You don't need approval. It doesn't matter. Just do things. You don't need anybody to see you. Yeah, you do. We're just kind of made like that. We're made to be seen. We're made to be known and to know others. There's nothing wrong that you want someone to notice you. There's nothing wrong that you want people to go, I exist. You know why? Because God created you that you may be known and that you exist. And, and, you know, we don't have a problem with kids. Like, kids, kids totally want to be seen. We don't go, you selfish little kid. You want me to look at you, right? No, right? What do we do? We're okay with it. So my, my youngest son has, for the past few years, just watched my oldest son play sports. And, and, and usually I'm coaching, and his little flag team, I'm not coaching. One of the first practices we get out there, we're just sitting on the sideline. I'm really not paying attention. I should be. Um, and all I hear is, dad, 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 I'm up. It's like, all right. <laughs> Next time, dad, 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 do you see me? 
do you see? Yes, we see you, right? Is there something selfish about that or that a son wants his dad to see him? Some of us are in counsel right now because we wanted our dads to just see us. Do you notice me? Do you see me? Did I just walk in and walk out, right? Like there's nothing wrong. Jesus is just saying, take the approval of people which is crippling us, crippling us. There's no freedom there. It's another form of slavery. It's something we have to work to achieve and we don't even know if we can have it for that long as opposed to something that we already have in the Father. One is you work for somebody's approval. What Jesus is saying is, no, you work out of approval here. You work from the love and acceptance. You, you give out of the acceptance. You pray out of the acceptance. You fast because you know that you have a Father who's going to be there and who loves you, who just wants to be seen, who wants you. He wants to see on the sideline that you're looking over and you're like, I see you, man. I see you. I see you. I think about when little girl, I don't have a, I don't have a daughter. Sometimes I wish I had a daughter. Then I go back to the baby phase and I'm like, mm. Somebody else's daughter can hang out for a little bit, and then they can leave and take her home. But, but I, I wish, like, you know, because girls, girls are different than boys. Girls will come out with a dress and like, Daddy, do you see my dress? They just want you to go, I see you, baby girl. I see you. And that's what I would say if I had a little daughter. I see you, baby girl. Right? Like, I see you. I just want you to know I see you. Because you know what? At the end of the day, if they don't perform, guess who's going to still take them home? The father. They're going to be there. I see you. Buckle up. I see you. You look in the review. I see you. Do you see this, Daddy? I see you. Jesus is trying to get at the heart. What we all long for at the, at the core of who we are is not to be amazing. It's to know that someone amazing sees us and takes notice of us and loves us and cares for us, will never leave us, will never forsake us. When we know we have that, it's a lot easier to give because we have so much. It's a lot easier to pray because we know we desire intimacy with him. It's not that the father is, is um, ultimately saying, I don't have time to be with you. We're too busy and we don't have time to be with him in prayer. And when it comes to fasting, as we become so distracted with the things of this world, we need to be undistracted and that we can have a holy contentment with our father who loves us and who's there with us. So all of these things is coming from an understanding that God says the secret reward is that you were loved by the father. And when you understand that, you can trade the approval of people that you may rest in the approval of a holy God. Amen? You, you, you think about this with kids, right? Kids bring home art to you. It's horrible, right? <laughs> Most of you kids who are in children's ministry, they're going to have an art and craft for you today. It's going to be a mask, and you're going to see it, and it's not horrible. You should love it and so forth. But um, they take the art, and you, what do you do with it? You hang it up. Because you know they're, trying to just, they're just trying to show you something. They're just trying to say, this is what I got. I'm going to give to you. And you hang it up on the wall or whatever you do with your art. You hang it up. You don't look at it and critique it like, oh, hmm. Try better next time, right? Like, you know, your, your kid comes home and it's like, what's that, a lizard and a dinosaur? No, daddy, it's you and mommy. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which one's the dinosaur? Right? You know, just, right? You, you don't care because it's out of their hearts that they're saying, I love you. And it's a response. It's a response. And what Jesus is calling us to, to live in his kingdom, to be poor in spirit, to be sought in light, to live out the righteousness, ultimately to give and to pray and to fast comes from who we know we are in the Father. And Jesus is the one who makes that available. Because Jesus is the one that we see himself who is the ultimate giver. He's the one who shows mercy that he leaves the comforts of heaven, and it says he who was rich became poor so that we who were poor in spirit in Christ might actually become rich. He gives it all away because he knows the love of the Father. 
Jesus is the one that we see who prays. He prays now. It says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's advocating upon who? Us, his younger brothers and sisters in whom he's given his life to bring into fellowship with his Father. And then we see Jesus is fasting. And that's a part of Jesus that we don't see, that Jesus is, we say, well, yeah, we fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. No, now. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he talked about the fruit. And he's talking about the fruit that makes the wine in which we drink. And he says, I will not eat of this fruit again until I eat it anew with you in the kingdom of God. He said, I'm going to abstain from the joy and gladness that wine brings, brings until I can have you. Until you can have my father fully and you can have the spirit fully. That we can be welcomed into that particular community. That Jesus says, I will fast for that. When we enter into that love of Christ, we understand what he's trying to give us. The, the motivation is there. He goes, you're going to give, you're going to pray, you're going you're, you're to be just fine. Especially when you know how much you're loved. Jesus has always had the love of the Father. He's never been without it. He's never been without it. He's always been in the presence of the Father. And the only time that he stepped out of his presence in order to make a way that we may be included in. That we may know the life and love of the Father. And out of a motivation of that comes our prayers, comes our giving, comes our fasting, and comes our living. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you as Father. Oftentimes we make prayer, we make giving, we make fasting, we make going to church, raising kids, being single, work. We make all these things activities. And we focus on the activities and we read books on how to get better at these particular activities. And Lord, what we need ultimately, Lord, is to know that you love us. And that you would begin to rewire and reorient our hearts around that love, that it would be the ultimate motivation of why we do what we do. It would be from a position of strength and from a place of approval, Lord, in which we will never lose. That we know we did do anything to make you love us, and there's nothing we can do to make you love us any less. God, but you freely and fully give yourself to us, and Lord, help us to respond to you in the same way. That we love you, God, because you first loved us. So Lord, help us to give in your name, ultimately from the approval we have, and to pray to you, Father, and in your name for your glory. And to fast, Lord, that we may be reminded of you and your purposes and your mission, Lord. Lord, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.